This podcast may contain unsuitable language, depictions of adult themes, and content of a violent and distressing nature. Listener discretion is advised. This is Crime Trials, Episode 6, a show that focuses on the stories behind the crimes as they work their way through the criminal justice system, from tragedy to verdict. When Hannah Weshi was born on January 11, 2015, doctors weren't sure if she would survive. While in utero, her mother was a heavy drug user, addicted to heroin. After 92 days in the NICU, and with the help of modern medicine, Hannah did survive and was placed into the care of her father, Jason Weshi. Unfortunately, Jason, who was also a father to two other children, had recently lost his job. This led to two years of essentially being homeless while still trying to care for Hannah. Looking for an immediate solution, Jason took baby Hannah to his brother's house. While Hannah slept inside the home, Jason slept outside in his car. Eventually, he found a job in Hanover Township at Smith Construction Corps. The small family was finally on solid ground. With steady employment also came a new home and long work days. Jason worked 12 hours a day to provide for himself and Hannah. As a result of these long hours, he needed to find daycare for his daughter. That care came from his next-door neighbor, Lindsay Parton, who ran a small informal daycare in her home. Lindsay was also the wife of one of his co-workers. That man's name was T.J. Smith, and we will hear a little more about him later in this episode. Lindsay had two small daughters of her own and cared for another little girl the same age as Hannah. To Jason, Lindsay seemed heaven-sent. Lindsay had transformed her two-car garage into a warm and cozy daycare center, with a couch and TV and lots of room for crafts and play. Her home was also located on a farm with animals and a nearby creek. It was an idyllic environment for children. Lindsay enjoyed taking the kids on nature walks down to the creek to pick river rocks they could then paint and decorate. In addition to playtime and arts and crafts, Lindsay also tried to make her care of the children educational. In that regard, she was also teaching the girls their colors, shapes, and ABCs. The only downside was Hannah seemed to come home with a lot of bruises. When Jason asked Hannah about her bruises, she would usually parrot what Lindsay would tell Jason about her injuries. Usually, when Jason picked up Hannah, Lindsay would always have an explanation for her injuries related to that day's activities. So Jason chalked this up to Hannah being active and enjoying her day. Hannah was usually dropped off sometime after 6 a.m. and wasn't picked up until 12 hours later. Not only did Lindsay care for Hannah, she would also feed her breakfast, lunch, and sometimes dinner on top of taking her to dance classes. For all of this, Jason only had to pay $30 per day. Yet, Jason still struggled to stay current on payment, and usually was a few weeks behind. The morning of March 8, 2018 started like any other day for both families. Jason took Hannah to Lindsay's house, carrying her in a blanket. She was very tired that morning. According to both Jason and Lindsay, this next part is uncontested. Before Jason was able to put Hannah down, she kept asking for one more kiss and one more hug. She didn't want her daddy to leave. While she seemed tired, she was alert enough to whine for her dad and give him affection. This is a very important part of this case. Hannah was alive and alert at drop-off. After a few minutes, Jason left to drive up the road to switch to his work truck. We have a fairly accurate timeline of events that morning thanks to text messages between Lindsay and Jason. We know that Jason texted Lindsay at 6.52 a.m. that he was getting Hannah in the car and heading over. Jason estimates he would have arrived at Lindsay's by 6.54 a.m. He carried Hannah inside, gave her repeated kisses, which could only have taken a few minutes and was back in his work truck. After switching trucks, he looked down at his phone and realized he had missed a call from Lindsay at 7 a.m. and 47 seconds. 
He returned the call to Lindsay at 7.01 and 24 seconds. That is when Lindsay told him that Hannah had collapsed and was unresponsive. That's a time frame of just nine minutes, during which something terrible happened to Hannah Weshi. At 7.02 a.m. and 51 seconds, Lindsay called 911, and that call lasted 13 minutes. During the call, Lindsay told the operator that Hannah had fallen pretty badly the day before when she was standing on a ride-on toy. She explained the toy had slipped out from under Hannah, causing a head injury. In fact, the entire week had been pretty bad for Hannah. So bad that Jason asked Lindsay four days earlier about bruises on Hannah's chest, eye, and chin. The week prior to March 8th, Jason began noticing a lot more bruising on Hannah. She was coming home with bruises every day, in many places including her back, buttocks, chest, face, ears, and head. Lindsay explained all of it away with Hannah's bad behavior. While talking to 911, Lindsay seemed sure Hannah's condition was related to the fall she had the day prior, which is odd because the day prior, at 8.48 a.m., Parton searched how to get rid of a bruise on her phone and then erased the search. At 2.56 p.m. the same day, she had searched what essential oil is good for bruises and is vapor rub good for bruises. While emergency personnel were present, Lindsay changed her story from what she told the 911 operator. She told the paramedic that after Jason left, Hannah asked for couch and donut, and while she was taking off her coat, she fell forward and collapsed. That is when she began struggling for air, and her eyes had a fixed stare. According to the timeline from cell phone data, Hannah was either already suffering from a fatal injury, or obtained a fatal injury at Lindsay's house in under four minutes before the first call placed to Jason, and under five minutes based on the first call to 911. When Hannah arrived at the hospital, she had multiple bruises all over her body, hemorrhages in both eyes, and a CT scan revealed a large subdural hemorrhage. Medical personnel immediately suspected she had suffered non-accidental abuse of head trauma, Hannah had emergency brain surgery to release the pressure in her skull and was placed in a medically induced coma. Ten days later, she was brain dead and taken off life support. On the day of Hannah's injury, Lindsay was interviewed by detectives. She denied any knowledge of what happened to Hannah and insisted that she collapsed upon walking inside her house. Detectives lied to Lindsay and told her that Hannah had died and they knew she was responsible. She continued to deny any responsibility, but did make some changes to her story. She insisted that it took Jason almost seven minutes to drive from his long driveway next door to her property and down her long driveway, which could fit the timeline of Hannah walking into her home and collapsing with the first call to Jason at 7 o'clock a.m. The next day, Lindsay went back to talk to the police, and this time she changed her story several more times. After insisting that Hannah had collapsed within seconds of kissing her father goodbye, Lindsay said Hannah got tangled up in her blanket and hit her head hard on the step and passed out. When she was challenged on that by detectives, she changed her story again. This time, she said she was carrying Hannah inside, and while carrying her, they both slipped, and Hannah hit her head extremely hard on the concrete step. After making these admissions, she also admitted to physically disciplining Hannah. She admitted she often poked Hannah in the chest to get her attention, and that is why Hannah had bruises, which detectives noticed were in varying degrees of healing. Next, she told a story about Hannah taking ketchup and spilling it into a toilet. She admitted to slapping Hannah and described punching her under the chin with an uppercut clawed fist. She believed this type of punishment was acceptable and told detectives that she had Jason's permission to discipline Hannah because he knew how difficult she could be. Then she admitted that after Jason dropped off Hannah, she angrily shook the little girl, screaming at her that she can't act that way with her dad, and she needed to let him go to work. She insisted the shaking wasn't hard enough to cause injury to Hannah, who, at three years old, was just 32 pounds. Based on the medical opinion of Hannah's treating doctors, they believed Hannah had the type of injury that would be immediately incapacitating. 
Therefore, the injury couldn't have happened when Hannah was in Jason's custody, because Hannah would not have been able to kiss her father goodbye, or ask for extra hugs and kisses. Therefore, the injury couldn't have happened when Hannah was in Jason's custody, because Hannah would not have been able to kiss her father goodbye, or ask for extra hugs and kisses. With that evidence, Lindsay Parton was arrested for the murder of Hannah Weshi. She was charged with four counts of felony endangerment on a child for the assault she admitted to committing the day before Hannah's fatal injury, and the day of her injury. She was also charged with involuntary manslaughter and murder. The trial began on April 3, 2019, and it would all come down to an extremely narrow window of opportunity and a battle of the medical experts. With that, we will begin the trial of Ohio First Lindsay Parton. The prosecution opened their case in chief with the paramedic who treated Hannah that morning. On the stand, he admitted that he believed Hannah was in an unsafe environment and wanted to get her out of Lindsay's garage immediately and safely in his vehicle, where his partner and he could begin treatment. When he first arrived, he noticed Hannah was on the couch with shallow and irregular breaths. Her eyes were moving, but without purpose. He said her eyes were dark, sunken, and she had bruising on various parts of her body, including her chest, chin, and eyes. He believed Jason was acting agitated and kept trying to shake Hannah awake and interfering with care. He said Lindsay was talking really fast and discussing a fall Hannah had the day before and a toy she had fallen off. Next, Dr. Nguyen testified. He told the jury that Hannah was unresponsive upon arrival and needed to be placed on a ventilator. He observed multiple bruises throughout her body and noticed there was significant blood behind Hannah's eyes. Dr. Nguyen ordered a CT scan of Hannah's head, neck, and face, and placed her on an air care flight from Fort Hamilton Hospital to Cincinnati's Children's Hospital. Next, Dr. Marguerite Carey, a pediatric neuroradiologist at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, testified. She reviewed Hannah's CT scans and noticed a large subdural hemorrhage that was causing the midline of her brain to shift over to the other side of her skull. She said, in her medical opinion, this was abusive head trauma caused by shaking. She said within seconds of the injury, Hannah would not have been able to breathe on her own, and she would have been unconscious. Because Lindsay had admitted to shaking Hannah that morning, the defense wanted to point out that after the autopsy, the pathologist found a large bruise on the back of Hannah's head after her head had been shaved. That injury was missed by treating physicians, and he believed that was from Hannah's fall the day before, which was one theory of how Hannah became injured. Next, Dr. Michael Yang, an ophthalmologist at Cincinnati Children's Hospital, testified that he found extensive hemorrhages within three layers of Hannah's eyes. He stated even if Hannah had fallen from a third-story building, she wouldn't have had that kind of hemorrhaging. He gave the medical opinion that the cause was most consistent with non-accidental abusive head trauma resulting in traumatic brain injury. Next, Dr. Chima testified. He was Hannah's pediatric ICU physician responsible for her care after surgery. He explained that Hannah never regained consciousness and deteriorated until she was brain dead. On March 18th, she was taken off life support and pronounced dead. Next, Dr. Dorothy Dean, a forensic pathologist who performed Hannah's autopsy, testified. Dr. Dean went through the autopsy photos explaining each of the injuries. She observed tremendous hemorrhages in Hannah's eyes, brain swelling, and a shearing injury to the brain. She opined that Hannah's cause of death was a traumatic brain injury due to a blunt, tremendous force that went through her brain. She stated a fall from the ground could not cause those types of injuries. Dr. Dean also agreed that Hannah would have become unresponsive within moments of the injury. Do you have an opinion to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to whether or not Hannah could have been walking or talking or behaving in a normal fashion after receiving the injuries uh, that resulted in her death? Yes, I do. And what is that? She could not. How are you able to say that? 
by my medical training and by my own experience, this is a tremendous brain injury. This is really serious. This is a tremendous force to the brain itself. When the brain is injured to this degree, to cause a death in this child, the brain can't function properly right away. She would be neurologically abnormal right away, probably unresponsive within moments. This is really serious. All right, doctor, and do you have an opinion with it to a reasonable degree of medical certainty as to how quickly Hannah would have become non-responsive receiving that injury? Within moments. She couldn't, she couldn't be normal after just a few moments, really. On cross-examination, things got a little contentious with Dr. Dean, where she found it necessary to object defense counsel's tactics of limiting her answers to his questions. At one point, he told her to stop acting coy and answer his questions. Your opinion is blunt impact trauma. Yes? Blunt impacts to the head, yes. Okay. Specifically to the back of the head. Well, I showed you where the blunt impacts are. She has some of the sides also. Do we have a problem together here? I mean... So, what I'm hearing you say... You, I, I object to you are trying to limit my testimony. You're asking me to the back of the head. She has impacts to the back of her head and to the sides of her head. Okay. I want to be complete. Well, let's get things straight. You're a witness, right? Yes? Yes. Okay. You're a state's witness, correct? I'm a yes. witness. Yes. Okay. You are an employee of the state of Ohio, or Hamilton County, correct? Hamilton County. You testified that you've testified as an expert in municipal court. Yes. You've testified as an expert in common police court. Yes. You've testified as an expert in federal court. Yes. When in that in all of those experiences have you objected to an attorney and the questions that he asked? Is that your role? The attorneys have been clear before. I've never had to before. All right. All right. So this is the first time in your all your experience that you've mustered it up and made an objection to an attorney? This is the first time you've done it? Other people have been very clear. Other than being generally combative, we're not sure what the defense attorney's strategy was, unless it was to alienate the jury. If he was trying to frustrate the witness, it didn't work. He was repeatedly overly aggressive with all of the state's witnesses. The prosecutors rarely objected and allowed him plenty of chances to irritate the jury. Next, Dr. Markarov. A child abuse expert testified. In her medical opinion, she didn't believe Hannah's injuries could have been caused by a fall, or even multiple falls. She believed it was possible that shaking alone could have caused Hannah's catastrophic injuries, resulting in her death. She made a finding of injury by as a result of child abuse. Next, Detective Janae Lambert testified. She introduced a recorded interview of Lindsay Parton on March 8, 2018. As the interview began, Detective Lambert lied to Lindsay and told her that Hannah had died, which was not true at the time of the interview. As most true crime listeners know, police are allowed to lie to suspects to help elicit a confession. While the interrogation video was played for the jury, you can see Sergeant Whitlock come into the room and explain to Lindsay that only one of two people could be responsible for Hannah's injuries and she put herself in the bullseye of the timeline. He told Lindsay that doctors had confirmed that Hannah was beaten, and her death couldn't have been an accident. He told her this was her one opportunity to come clean about who hurt Hannah. And they're able to say with 100% professional opinion that this child this proximity to when this all occurred, the, the, the beating that took place on her head was absolutely in a time frame of the time she was in your house to the time that had to be almost immediate prior to coming to your house. That there's absolutely no positive way that this child was sitting down playing uh, with blocks, having conversations that it absolutely could not have happened. So, she didn't play this morning, but she walked into my house. I am 
I will look in the eye. I've never heard a kid in my life. What even hurt my kids? I don't spank. I don't believe in spanking. I was never. Have you ever, have you ever seen TJ strike any of the kids? No, he's not even around. He's hardly ever home. And when he gets was home, he there this morning? No. You're just covering your line. No, he left the barn. I swear to God, he left at six fifteen because Vivian got up with him. And is that the same thing that? Jason's gonna say when he when 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 he's. Here. I would think that yeah, TJ was already at the barn. Yeah, yeah. At this point in the interrogation, Hannah's treating physicians had confirmed that there was no way Hannah could have walked anywhere or asked for a donut or a couch. She would have been immediately unconscious due to the severity of her brain injury, which included a broken orbital bone surrounding Hannah's eye socket. However. They have to rule everyone else out who may have had access to Hannah, and that included her husband, T.J. Smith. Lindsay denied he was present when Hannah was dropped off, and confirmed that he was at their barn, further away on the property. The property where they lived had two houses on it, which were about 200 feet apart from each other. On the same property, about a block away, is where both Jason and T.J. worked at Smith Construction. Detectives pressed Lindsay, asking if she was an abused wife, and if TJ ever abused her or their children. She insisted that neither of them believe in spanking their children, and stated her only complaint about her husband is that he drank too much. Lindsay was then pressed about Jason. She admitted that he had a temper, and had even gotten into a fight at work the day prior. She confirmed that she would occasionally see bruises on Hannah, but wasn't sure if Jason was responsible, or if they were just due to neglect. She reluctantly admitted that while Jason loved his daughter, he didn't always pay enough attention to her because he was always working. On weekends, his other two children would visit, and his other daughter, Rachel, was often on the trampoline with Hannah and played too rough. Still not grasping the gravity of the situation, she said she wouldn't want to think that Jason could have hurt Hannah, but admitted it could have been a possibility. Then Lindsay reluctantly admitted to seeing questionable bruises on Hannah that she worried could have been the result of abuse. On cross-examination, the defense questioned why Lindsay was a suspect so quickly, given the extremely tight timeline of events in an effort to lay groundwork for a reasonable doubt defense. The most damaging part of that custodial police interview was when Lindsay was left alone in the room and spontaneously said, I am going to prison for the rest of my life. Next, the prosecution called lead detective Dan Turner to testify. The first thing Turner did on the stand was clarify the timeline of Jason's schedule the night before Hannah collapsed. Originally, Jason stated that he took Hannah to Walmart to purchase milk and fed her cereal before bed. On the second day of the trial, they admitted that they couldn't find footage of Jason at Walmart. The first day of the trial, Jason told Detective Turner that he had forgotten his friend Chris had come over the night before Hannah's fatal injury, and Jason and Hannah had dropped him off late that evening. This gave the defense a possible third suspect to have had known contact with Hannah in the direct 12 hours before her collapse. This was evidence that should have easily been discovered during the investigation and provided to the defense. Turner conducted the second interview with Lindsay on March 9, 2018. By that time, Lindsay was aware the police lied to her about Hannah dying. She also thought Hannah was going to recover according to her conversations with Jason. As the interview began, Lindsay continued to deny any knowledge of what happened to Hannah and insisted that Hannah walked into her home that morning and immediately collapsed. That's when Detective Turner began showing Lindsay photos of the bruises on Hannah's body in the hospital. Some of the bruises Lindsay explained happened on nature walks, and the others, she said, must have occurred with Jason. As the interview began, she insisted the only form of discipline she uses was a timeout chair. However, the detectives began using the Reed method of interrogation, which has been known in some circumstances to lead to false confessions. It's a technique where detectives have a presumption of guilt and won't allow the suspect to deny responsibility as they apply minimization language. Detectives kept telling Lindsay that a world-renowned neurologist had already stated that once Hannah sustained the shearing injury to her brain, that Hannah would have collapsed. 
A shearing injury is when the brain is subjected to so much force by either blunt force trauma or shaking, which causes the brain to shift and hit the back of the skull. This severe type of injury almost always leads to a brain bleed and swelling of the brain. Due to this type of injury, Hannah would not have been able to walk or ask for a donut, which means Hannah's injury could only have happened at Lindsay's house after she said goodbye to her father and asked for repeated kisses. Detectives told her it was normal to feel bad and deny something happened, even if it were just an accident. That is when Lindsay grabbed onto the word accident and gave a second version of events. This is a horrible accident. And you have to tell us, listen to me, listen, listen. And you have to tell us exactly what that accident was. Because her, her, she's still being treated, okay? Now, your treatment can go either way. Whether she's hit in the back of the head with a baseball bat, which I absolutely don't believe she was. Or whether she was dropped, or, or whatever she hit her head on, or or got some sort of whiplash somehow. It was instant. It was absolutely I believe instant. You. So if you believe that it's instant, you're, you're agreeing that, okay, she fell because she got hit, or something happened, something caused, but something caused this, okay, in her head. She fell because of that, all right? What caused that? What accident caused this? She fell out the door and hit the concrete step. Wait. Thursday morning. Walking into the walking yeah. into the house. Yes. Tell us about. Take us through details. So when I opened up the door, she was coming through, and she slipped on that concrete step, and the metal part. She hit the metal part on her eye. Which door? Which. The one, yeah, the one into the house, the carpet. And so I got her back up, and she stood up and looked up at me and did say, I want donut and couch, and then collapsed. Once detectives got Lindsay to agree that an accident happened, they wanted to know why she would tell them about the accident that happened the day before, but not tell them about the accident that caused Hannah's injury on March 8th. What made this accident harder to admit to? They insisted that the accident she described wouldn't have explained Hannah's injury, nor did it explain why she would have lied about it. They told her pursuant to the information given to them by her treating neurologists, the injury couldn't have caused the type of trauma Hannah sustained. Okay, it didn't have, she has no broken bones in her face, okay? I mean, this is... A common thing to get broken when somebody's head right. falls, okay? That's not broken. Breaks easily to protect your brain. Yeah. Okay? I thought it was yeah. And there's no broken bone in their face. So that's not what happened. Okay? You know, we've we've come a long way. We went we got past that, okay? Yeah. You're right there. You're right there. Thank you. When I opened the door, I dropped her. And I slipped on the bell. So I slipped on her blanket when I opened the door, and we both went down, and she hit that concrete step really hard. Where? On on her head? On her face, yes. I was holding her on the left side. When I slipped, it hit her side. I actually hit my head on the door coming down, but she smacked her face, her her, her head really hard on the concrete step. Okay, then what happened? We got up. I tried to, tried to get her to come to. <coughs> she did ask me for a donut and couch out in the garage. Not inside, but she did. When we first walked in, we did some walk out. And she said, so now you're saying she asked that before? Yeah. Okay. Detectives wanted to know how Anna's eye socket got shattered. Now, keep in mind, at this point in the interrogation, Lindsay still believed Hannah was going to make a full recovery, because that is what Jason told her at the hospital the night before. In Lindsay's third version of events, Hannah asked her for a donut and the couch before the fall. In this version, Lindsay tripped on Hannah's blanket, causing her to fall on top of Hannah. When they fell... Hannah allegedly struck her face extremely hard on the concrete step, which caused the fracture of her orbital bone. 
That is also what caused the mark under Hannah's eyes, and her eye to look sunken into the head. However, detectives still weren't satisfied with her late admission. Now they had her admitting to an accident. They wanted to move her closer to what they believed was the truth, which was intentional and direct abuse. They started by telling her that her explanation didn't explain the bruising on the back of Hannah's neck, where she also had a bleed in her brainstem. That is when they asked her if she knew what touch DNA was, and told her that even days later they could find touch DNA under Hannah's chin and at the back of her neck. This prompted Lindsay to finally admit to physically abusing Hannah. However, she only did so, she said, because she had permission from Hannah's father. I didn't do that. I don't know. Okay. I really didn't do that. I don't How know. How does this happen? I slapped her upside the head. With what? My hand. Open, closed? Yeah, open. What, what caused that? She took all of the... I don't know why she was in trouble. She took all the ketchup out and squirted it into the toilet while okay. I was looking. That's frustrating. And I'm like, yeah. 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 What else had she done that day? Is this like a culmination of things building up? She did. What day was yeah. that? This week? week? This week? This week? Early yeah. this week? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't think that hurt her. I really didn't. Well, I think not. I mean, kids are tough. They're not, you know, they're, they, trust me. You know. As well as anybody else does. You're very resilient and, and you're not and you're not gonna know. Tell us what that was. Chin. I did I don't I really did not hit her on the chin. I don't know. Right, yeah, I don't Does she talk back to you? No. She doesn't not one bit. Does she not listen to you? Like is she if she, she actually does listen if she's watching she's a listening. show and you tell her to do something, does she not listen? No, she her, how do you get her attention when she doesn't listen? Hannah, you gotta listen to Buddy. Does she know you will? No, she eats great. She eats all day long. Okay, then tell us what happened here. Tell us about that. This was not a fall in the runway. It's not. We know what this is consistent with. Yeah. Look at me. We do this for a living. No, I know. Okay? I know. This is not the first three-year-old that we're staring pictures about, okay? We know exactly what caused this, okay? Exactly. It's not a fall. And you know what caused this. Just like you knew what caused this. Okay? So what caused this? I smacked her on the chin for doing ketchup. That was the same thing. Right. So this is the same incident. Yeah. Tell us about this. Because this is not a smack. I just want to tell you right now, this is not a deep bone contusion from an open-handed smack. Okay? Knowing that... I didn't. No, listen, listen, like listen. That. Knowing that we know that, what happened here? The same thing. It was the same. Thing. Tell us though what happened. This Wait, these specific bruises. When she looked, I caught her doing the ketchup. You know, I took it away and I put her on the body because I think she had to go pee anyway. I said, "Hannah, you can't do the ketchup." I, I just slapped her on the side of the head and went like that. Close. Yeah, like that. How many times? Don't say once. Yeah. Because it's the bruise. Yeah. Okay. Um, does he give you permission to, to discipline? Yeah. I mean, spank and stuff? Okay. I don't really spank. I don't even know why I was mad about that. So these were close fists, like uppercuts? Yeah. Okay. Lindsay admitted the bruises on both of Hannah's ears were from slaps, and the bruising under her chin were from uppercuts. Lindsay demonstrated the double strike with an uppercut-like motion using a martial arts-style clawed fist. It was there when Lindsay asked if she should talk to a lawyer. Of course, they told her that was up to her and continued asking her questions. Then Lindsay explained the bruises on Hannah's chest occurred when she aggressively poked Hannah while yelling, Hannah, you know better. She also admitted to squeezing Hannah around the middle of her body as a regular form of discipline because Hannah was often very mischievous. On cross-examination, the defense pushed Detective Turner to admit that he lied to Lindsay when he told her he knew for a fact that Hannah's older injuries weren't caused by an accident. In a victory for the defense, he agreed that he lied to the defendant. 
however. We all know police are allowed to lie to defendants in furtherance of a confession. The defense wanted the jury to understand that this technique can sometimes elicit false confessions. It will be up to the jury to decide if they think Lindsay was pushed into admitting the truth or pushed into a false confession, which will be the crux of her defense strategy. Next, Jason Weshey took the stand. On direct, he told the jury that when Hannah was born, she was very ill and addicted to drugs. He would visit her in the hospital after work three to four times per week. Hannah's mother would see her sporadically and stopped visiting in May of 2017. Jason told the jury he had two other daughters from a previous relationship he would have on weekends. Jason worked as a pipe fitter and mechanic for Smith Corps and rented the home he lived in from his boss. His boss was also Lindsay's father-in-law and TJ's father. A typical day for Jason would mean dropping off Hannah with Lindsay and returning sometime between 6 or 7 p.m. Next, Jason gave the timeline for the morning of Hannah's fatal injury, which matched his phone records. He stated he would always text Lindsay first to let her know he would be there within a minute or two, as he lived just next door. The week of March 5th, he became aware of multiple injuries to Hannah, more than usual. He stated that Lindsay told him about at least three separate injuries to Hannah that included the bruises to her chest, the significant bruising to her chin, and a black eye. The morning of March 8th, when Lindsay told him Hannah collapsed, that was the first time he saw her sunken eye, and the first time he saw the cut under her eye. Neither of those injuries were present, and when he dropped her off moments earlier. There was also a bruise on Hannah's forehead that wasn't present when he dropped Hannah off that morning. He also didn't remember seeing the bruises to Hannah's arms, buttocks, or back. However, Hannah had been complaining of headaches for the past three weeks before her death. It didn't occur to Jason that those complaints could have been the result of the many bruises that were found by the pathologist hidden under Hannah's hair. On cross-examination, Jason admitted he was unaware that Hannah had tested positive for hepatitis C, or of knowing that hepatitis C could lead to excessive bruising. He also admitted that Hannah had never told him that Lindsay was hitting her or hurting her. And you'd agree with me that your car doesn't immediately warm up, correct? No, ma'am. It does? I said, no, ma'am, it does not immediately warm up. Okay. And so you'd agree with me that you had to wait a little bit for the car to warm up before you put it in reverse, correct? No, ma'am. You didn't? No, ma'am. You immediately shoved that thing into reverse and got the heck out of the driveway? Yeah, when I'm leaving forward, yes, ma'am, I started. Is that when car. Hannah fell in the back seat and hit her head? Hannah never fell in the back seat. Are you certain? I'm 100% certain. Because if she fell in the back seat, climbing over the front seat, and hit her head, and it killed her, then you'd be responsible. Isn't that true? I assume I would, yes, ma'am. But Hannah did not so fall in the back seat. So that's why you're pretty seat. certain that that's not what happened? No, ma'am. So we're at 650... Five, 6.56 and 30 seconds? You got to pull out of your driveway, correct? Yes, ma'am. That drive's pretty long, isn't it? No, ma'am. How far is it? About from here to the doors, maybe. Okay. So you're at a dead stop in your car that sat, presumably, all night long in the cold, and you shoved that thing in reverse. How long does it take you to get out into the main road of shape? Maybe five seconds. Because you're driving fast? No, I'm not driving fast, but it doesn't take me very long to back out of my driveway. My driveway wasn't very long. You'd agree with me that your driveway has a, quite, a slight curve to it, correct? A little bit. It's not a straight shot, correct? Right at the top, it curves. Defense counsel did their best to frustrate Jason, hoping he would become angry in front of the jury. Despite her best efforts, Jason was able to remain calm and answered the questions to the best of his ability. It's always a gamble to aggressively go after a grieving parent, but the defense didn't have any choice due to the tight timeline. Their best chance, at reasonable doubt, was offering an alternative suspect. With that, the prosecution rested their case, and the defense began their case in chief. Their first witness was Lindsay Parton.
Lindsay testified that she began taking in children in August of 2016 to supplement her income and to help her stay at home with her children. She began her testimony with a complete retraction of all of her various confessions. She said everything after the first hour of the second interrogation was a lie. She didn't believe Hannah would die, and she was hoping by taking responsibility she could protect both Jason and her husband TJ. Lindsay, did you cause harm to Hannah Weshi on March 8th? I did not. Did you cause harm to her on March 6th? I did not. Did you cause harm to her on March 7th? I did not. Why did you tell the police that you did? Because I wanted to protect everybody. And what do you mean by I wanted to protect everybody? In the first interview, I felt like it was all about TJ. I mean, they even asked me if I was an abused wife, if he was abusing me. Um, and I cared about Jason. I didn't want anybody to be in trouble. During the investigation, Lindsay didn't believe she did anything wrong by disciplining Hannah, and only admitted to doing so to protect her husband TJ and Jason Weshi. She testified that her first version of events was the truth, which was that she accidentally fell while holding Hannah, and didn't want to admit she accidentally caused Hannah's injuries. She had never been in a police interrogation room before, but she trusted the police and didn't realize they would lie to her. Her brother is also a police officer, so she believed they were there to help her. Next, Lindsay testified that within 10 seconds of walking in the door of her garage, Hannah collapsed and fell forward. That's when she immediately called Jason, and he didn't answer, so she hung up and called 911. Lindsay testified in her second interview she felt pressured and bullied into saying what the officers wanted her to say. And is there any difference in how you felt in the second interview? Very much. What was that difference? They didn't care what I had to say of my truth. They only wanted their own answers. Um, I felt pressured. I felt forced. I wanted to protect everybody. I felt bullied. During the second interrogation, Lindsay felt like she had to protect Jason and TJ. At the time of the second interview, she believed that Hannah's injuries were as a result of an accident. Now she believes Jason is responsible for Hannah's death. She believes something must have happened in the car ride on the way over to her house that caused Hannah's injury. Either Jason struck her, or Hannah fell in the back of the truck, since Jason didn't use a car seat during the morning drives to Lindsay's house. Why didn't you throw Jason to the wolves, to the detectives on March 8th? Because I care about him. He was my friend. and cared about his daughters, all three of them. We'd become friends over the year that I had Hannah. Why didn't you throw him to the detectives as the person who did it on March 9th? wanted to protect everybody. I didn't want anybody to be in trouble. Why would you want to protect someone who did this to a child? I always think the best of people. I just... Didn't. They showed you the photographs of Hannah in the hospital, right? Yeah, on my second interview, yes. Yeah. On March 9th, they showed you these photos. And you wanted to protect the person who did this? Just, I didn't want anybody to be in trouble. I wanted to protect everybody. Did you lie to the police? I told them what they wanted to hear. What do you mean you told them that what they wanted to hear? All of their questions like leading into it's an accident did she fall all of those things i just agreed with them because the day before for hours i told them what happened and even an hour into that second interview i told them what happened they didn't want to hear it they actually told me they didn't want to hear it again lindsay insisted the truth to what happened to hannah was what she said during her first interrogation interview and for the entire first hour of her second interrogation interview on cross-examination, the prosecution showed Lindsay a series of texts from her phone where she made comments to a friend about her reluctance to watch Hannah and unease with him moving next door and expecting her to babysit all of the time. The text messages were the exact opposite of her testimony, 
where she said she didn't mind watching Hannah and had no problem with him renting the house next door. Lindsay insisted that the only reason she made up stories during her interview was because detectives bullied her and insisted something else happened to Hannah and wouldn't stop until she changed her story. So it's your testimony today that you admitted to hurting Hannah and you didn't think you would be in trouble. No, I didn't. I was under the assumption that he would back me up. So it was your thought process on 3-9 of 2018 that you could admit to poking Hannah in the chest and you wouldn't be in trouble? Yes. And that you could admit to squeezing her in her middle and you wouldn't be in trouble? That's yes. your testimony? Yes. And that you could admit to hitting her with a closed fist multiple times under the chin and you wouldn't be in trouble? Yes. And then you could admit to shaking her until she lost consciousness and you wouldn't be in trouble. Objection. Despite telling police numerous times that she didn't believe in spanking, under cross-examination, Lindsay admitted she believed she had Jason permission to use corporal punishment to discipline Hannah. Ma'am, it's your testimony that on 3-9 in 2018 that... You didn't know that admitting to shaking Hannah would get you in trouble. No, I didn't think it would. It's your testimony that on 3-9 of 2018 that you didn't know that shaking Hannah and that you didn't even know if she lost consciousness wouldn't get you in trouble. No, I didn't think so. You showed a bruise on your hand to Detective Hensley, did you not? I did. You claimed that when you fell with Hannah, you had a bruise. Yes. But it's your testimony today that that never happened. Why would you show them your hand? It seemed logical at the time. Ma'am, was it your belief that you could squeeze her middle? Yes. Was it your belief that you could hit her on the face with an open hand? Yes. And was it your belief that you could hit her on the chin with a closed fist? Yes. And it was it your belief that you could shake her? Yes. With that admission, cross-examination was now over. Next, the defense called their expert witness, Dr. Werner Spitz. Dr. Spitz is a high-profile forensic pathologist who testified at the Casey Anthony trial. Dr. Spitz testified that he believed the cause of Hannah's death was a blow to the back of her head which likely happened within 24 hours of her collapse. He believed she could have had intervals of lucidity, and the other bruising in the skull was caused by the brain swelling after the injury, which means either it was Hannah's accidental fall the day before, or it was something inflicted on her by her father while Hannah was still in his custody and care. During closing statements, the prosecution stated that Lindsay had recently suffered a miscarriage a few weeks before Hannah's death, and she was under an incredible amount of stress. They believed Lindsay lost control of her emotions and took out her rage on Hannah. They believed when Hannah didn't want to let her father leave, it made Lindsay angry. That Lindsay thought Hannah was trying to let her father know something wasn't right at Lindsay's house. The prosecution told the jury that as soon as Jason left, Lindsay lashed out at Hannah. She hit her so hard that it crushed her eye socket, leaving the mark under her eye. Then, in a rage, she shook Hannah violently for the crime of not wanting her dad to leave. They believed the violent shaking caused the shearing injury in Hannah's brain. They believed that all happened within a minute of Jason leaving. The defense closing was given by attorney Melinda Howard. She told the jury that Lindsay was Jason's patsy. At the hospital, he told Lindsay that Hannah had suffered an aneurysm and would be just fine. He also told Lindsay that he thought she wouldn't get in trouble for stating she disciplined Hannah because her injuries were not the result of abuse. He also allegedly told Lindsay if she admitted to disciplining Hannah and causing the bruising, he would back her up. They also told the jury that Jason had another man over at his house, within 12 to 18 hours of Hannah's injury. 
A man that Jason lied about being at his house for an entire year. A man who could also be an alternative suspect. The defense also told the jury that with Dr. Spitz's testimony, it's conceivable given the tight timeline that Hannah was having a moment of lucidity that morning, and her death was really as a result of either the fall the day before, or at the hands of Jason, or his friend Chris. After 12 hours of deliberation, the jury found Lindsay guilty on all six counts. At Lindsay's sentencing hearing, Jason Weshy looked at Lindsay and said, I hope and pray every single day you get the same treatment in jail that you showed my daughter. Lindsay's defense attorney asked for mercy, describing Lindsay as a cheerleader, Girl Scout, and caretaker. Her friends and family insisted Lindsay was innocent and incapable of hurting a child. With that, Butler County Judge Greg Stevens sentenced Lindsay to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 18 years. Lindsay's family and friends run a Facebook page devoted to her innocence, with many supporters who also believe the timeline was too tight to warrant a guilty verdict. At the very least, they believe there was reasonable doubt. Lindsay has appealed her conviction, which was denied, and her conviction affirmed by the Ohio State Supreme Court. But we're not quite done with this case. Remember when we said we would discuss T.J. Smith, Lindsay's husband, a little later in the episode? Well, brace yourselves. Because six months after Lindsay's conviction, Timothy J. Smith, also known as T.J., was arrested for raping a child under the age of 10. He was charged with six different criminal counts, two counts of rape and four counts of gross sexual imposition with a victim under the age of 10. According to the charging affidavit, T.J. was acquainted with the victim and the victim's family. According to Lindsay, T.J. was at the barn that morning a few hundred feet from the house. While she was on the stand, she insisted she only changed her story to protect T.J. and Jason. Given this new revelation, it sure does make you wonder why she felt the need to so strongly protect her husband. That is the end of this week's episode. We would love to know what you think about the case. You can let us know on Twitter at Crime Trials Pod or Instagram at Crime Trials Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. If you are interested in supporting our show, please recommend our podcast to a friend, post about us on your social media, or mention us in a podcast recommendation thread so other listeners can find us. If you have a case suggestion, you can send those to crimetrials at gmail.com. <laughs>